Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your goodness to us, our time we have in a free country and a place. We can gather together with the saints and we'd study your word. We'd ask that you would draw us closer to it. In your son's name, amen. Is that somebody's kid? Oh, it's the, it's the, it's the oars. You can tell from the sermon notes that we're in Romans. Now, Romans is one of those places that pastors venerate. You know, it's, it's when you do your series through Romans. I did my series through Romans back in 2002, and so I thought my work here is done. I could, I could die happy. Um, because there's, in Romans, Romans is one of those books where Paul who's smarter than any of us, would use very bad language, not bad like immoral language, but poor sentence structure, run-on sentences, and concepts that aren't what you're thinking about, he's writing about. And so consequently, Christians down through the ages have spent most of their time misunderstanding Romans and running into other Christians who misunderstood it in a different way, and then they get into a fight. And that makes the history of Christianity, fighting over Romans. Um, so when you, when you notice something in Romans that you want to talk about, you do so with some wariness. You realize you're going to say something. Uh, we were in the library last night... Um, my niece, little Heather brought her fiancé over to reveal him to the family, and we had to pass judgment on him, and so we did. But uh, whites were over also, and they had just come from some discussion where social Trinitarian doctrine was being discussed with much hoorah, I guess. So we chatted about those oddities about people talking about the Trinity. I was reminded of the meme of the sliding board uh, and on the sliding board it says trying to explain the trinity and at the bottom of the sliding board there is a hole in the ground that dropped to nothing it's called heresy that no matter what you do on certain subjects you will you'll walk the edge some of you may be highly wrought in some of these areas theologically so try to be gracious forgiving towards me. Um, it is Roman, so I'm walking in dangerous areas. But, uh, but when I, I wanted to apply Romans, because Romans, one of the basic problems in Romans is that we are thinking in different categories than they were thinking of. They were thinking Jew-Gentile. We are thinking believer-unbeliever, okay? So we're already just pre-making a mistake, you know, just uh, think Jew-Gentile. But then you say, I don't really have any problems with the Jews. That's also true. And the Jews that are Christians might not have that many real problems with you nowadays. There are Jewish Christians who are out there that don't flip out when you sit down at the same table with them. But back in the first century, they did flip out. They acted all, you know, Islamic about things. Because you were unclean. Because you're a Gentile. So I was thinking about, well, what I was thinking about as I got up this morning, the wife 
rolled me out. And uh, I had to do my exercises that Glenda assigned me because my back's bothered me. So I did my exercises, staggered to the bathroom where I do my sermon prep, got into the tub, lay down, wished Archimedes hadn't come up with this placement so I could have come up with it. But I, had a, I was sitting there in the tub and I use ivory soap, 99% pure. It floats. I don't know if you know that about ivory. Most of you take showers. You don't, you don't care if your soap floats. I take baths. My soap floats. I never have to go looking for it. It's right on the surface. Now, the other good thing about ivory soap is that it is just soap. None of this foo-foo and smelly stuff, lavender or whatever women put in their soap. It's not glycerin. What is it? Animal fat and ash. Because that's what you make soap out of. Ever since the Phoenicians, back in the 800s BC, maybe even the Jews, in the law of the Jews, soap was developed in the sacrificial system. I was sitting there looking at my soap float, and how odd it was, how clean I felt, having rubbed a bar of animal fat and ash all over my body. I felt clean. Some of you are going, of course you felt clean. It's soap. No, no, it's animal fat and ash. Now you do something to it. You know, it doesn't act like animal fat and ash. But I was stopping to think about our little propensities for doing things we think are automatically superior to a savage. I'm watching some National Geographic documentary on a tribe in Africa whose general cosmetic or cleanliness ritual was kneading up a bunch of red mud and smearing it in their hair, doing dreads out of the mud, hair, and, and then the rest of their body was covered with red mud. It was picturesque. But you say to yourself, what savages? Everyone knows that a good Christian rubs himself over with animal fat and ash. But no, we call it something else. They think they're approaching a state of beauty, a kind of cleanliness. They can't imagine the kind. Ever read that passage as oil on the beard of Aaron? And you're going, I don't think I want that. You can't understand a society that poured oil all over their body, scraped it off, and that was how you got clean because we know that animal fat and ash get you clean. They would look at you like, don't you feel like really, really bare? You don't have any... We have different ways of viewing things, all because of our circumstance. We think the way we are is the way it ought to be. Now, you might be right, but it'd just be accidental if you were. It might be that soap makes you clean and red mud does not. But you can't assume it. So what I want to do is I want to look at Romans 3. You say, that was a long intro. Well, I spent a long time in the tub. You've got to work these things out. What I want you to think about is what Paul was dealing with in Rome 
a problem between Christian Jew and Gentile Jew, the Gentile Christian, Christian of each kind, and the problem sociologically that was. And theology stepped into it, and so he had to step into it as well. For he is not a real Jew who is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. This is the first verse at the top out of Romans 2, right at the end of Romans 2. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart, spiritual and not literal. Spiritual and not literal. His praise is not from men, but from God. That phrasing on his praise is not from men. It almost doesn't make sense to us because of the way we use the word praise. We think we're getting a ribbon or something like that at the fair. It's a recognition. It's a, it's a lifting you up in recognition. God is lifting you up. Not man, not man recognizing, oh, I'm Scots, because everyone should be. And the fact that other people recognize the Scots as the best people on the planet, well, that's thank you with nothing but what we deserve. But, but that's not what's important, that the Scots are best of all people. But that's what happens when you have chosen people. They begin to think of themselves as the best of all people. It becomes like, I, I, it's my soap. It's not, it's the way we get clean. I don't have to argue for it. It's the way I am. We're Jews. And we recognize each other, and we all support one another. You've heard me going on recently, if you've been over the house, we've been talking a lot about subjective objectivism, that you have this need to meet with one another because our relationship to the objective actuality, you can doze off at this point, the relationship to the objective actuality is best learned in, in a community of discussion where you're comparing notes about what you have subjectively perceived. The problem is when you're with people who use ivory soap, we all think because we use ivory soap to get clean, it is self-evidently the path to cleanliness, self-evidently right to rub yourself with animal fat and ash. And so the Jews thought that as well. They had been the chosen people for a long time. And here comes St. Paul and Jesus and other people saying, no, it's for the Gentiles as well. And they said, oh, no, it's not. And he has to break this down because we have, we have, you might say, a, a, a mental fixation on the way we do it. Some of you have accents, southern. Some of you have, what is yours, New Zealand, Karen? Australian, okay. And uh, Lydia's is something else. Uh, anybody else have an accent? An odd. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's not. Well, let's just assume, well, people with accents don't often hear their accent. They say, well, this is just how, you know, Jesus and the heavenly host talk, so I, I speak this way. We're pretty, f we favor ourselves. The problem is with passages like Romans 3 is that we can see what he's talking about, and because our problem in the passage is not the same area, we make the same mistake the Jews made, 
and don't notice it because it's us making it. We're the ones violating. We, we look at that passage and says, real circumcision is a matter of the heart, spiritual and not literal. Does God praise you, not men? What then? Then what advantage has the Jew? Right there in chapter 3, verse 1. What is the value of circumcision? Because, you know, there was a whole Old Testament. And there are a lot of Christians who think it should be given as much importance as it has numbers of pages. So they make, you know, their Christianity is like 30% and 70% Old Testament. Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does, that, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every man be false, as it is written, and I'd like if you could find where it is written, I'd appreciate it, because I couldn't find it. That thou mayest be justified in thy words and prevail when thou art judged. Now, you see Paul correcting the Jewish mindset. Complimenting them, it's that, what's that? It's the compliment sandwich when you're, you go in to get your review from your boss. They say something nice, corrective, say something nice, right? I don't think he gets back around to saying something nice. At the end, but it starts with a compliment. What value the Jew? What advantage? Well, they got the oracles of God. That's pretty big. They got the Bible. He wants them, there, there's a, from verse 5 through verse 8, he's sort of listening for a uh, counter-argument that the Jews would make. Because um, if you go through the book, He's going to talking to the Gentiles, and he talks to the Jews, he talks to the Gentiles, he talks to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews when he says, but if our wickedness serves to show the justice of God, what shall we say? That God is unjust to inflict wrath on us? In other words, if the result is I, I see God's holiness because of my wickedness, or God's mercy because of my wickedness, why is God against what I do? It lifts up what he is. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? If it wasn't, if it was something he was getting a benefit from your sin, that his justice would maybe be shown. No, justice just needs to be shown. So we're, that, again, it's a side argument, but I wanted you to stay on um, what's the advantage of the Jew. When he gets down to verse 9, he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Now keep those categories in mind. Any advantage or value? Yes. They have the Bible. Any better off? No. Not at all. You've got to keep... Because if you're going to figure out something that was a theological problem in the first century in Rome, being addressed by a guy who writes run-on sentences and doesn't personally know these people or many of them. We don't want to be off track and just say, oh, this is an interesting, it's like reading one of the minor prophets and they got some prophecy against Edom. And you go, 
Edomites been up to anything lately? No. How about Tyre? Another prophecy against Tyre. Prophecy against, uh, I don't know, Moab. We realize that much of the Bible, you know, is just sort of a, well, this is a charming travelogue of time. We're looking over the shoulders of long dead people who had a problem being uppity about their chosenness. And they didn't like the Gentiles being included. That's Ephesians. Ephesians tells you this is the great mystery hidden for ages, the gospel for the Gentiles. So we, we want to be sure, we, we know that he takes this thing that God obviously did. He picked out Abraham. He made them the people of God. He made them elect. He developed them down through the ages, followed them, built their kingship, built their judgeship, built, you know, restored them from Babylon, got them out of Egypt, all sorts of wonderful stories, which you could actually get a grip on if you don't have a grip in our Wednesday night summer Bible study. This is the commercial. Wednesday night summer Bible study, starting in two Wednesdays, eighth in our backyard. It's food, so that, you know, bribes you. You bring food, we eat. We're going to be going through the Old Testament in four weeks the whole thing in four weeks. It's a 12-hour Bible study each night, but we're, uh, but I know you want to be there. It's one hour, four hours total through the Old Testament. So is that all we're dealing with with Romans? Is there anything you could walk away? I said, I really like it when a pastor applies it to me personally. Gives me some direction about what to do. And I got to treat my Jewish friends with a certain latitude, and they have to treat me. Well, that's not really our issue. Is there anyone else who has this advantage, this value? Is there anyone else who, having this value, might think of themselves as not needing anything more? Well, let's just call it the evangelical church. Shall we? They think because they've got the Bible and they are willing to fight for the Bible. The guy who did the notes in my Bible, Harold Lenzel, wrote a book called Battle for the Bible. This is back in the 70s. Where Christians are all about the canon of scripture and about the, it's worth talking about, but we're just proving we're the Jews. We're entrusted with the oracles of God, so we fight over the canon of Scripture. All you have to do, if you ever want to make an evening discussion out of it, after you serve you know, a beer to your guests, say, you know, I don't really know if Hebrews should be in the Scriptures. Then watch your hair go on fire, and, and your evening is made. Because Christians, conservative Christians, Good enough for King James, good enough for St. Paul, good enough for us. All we're doing is proving we're the Jews in the picture. We're entrusted with the oracles of God. They were entrusted with the oracles of God, too. It was an advantage, certainly. It's an advantage to your thought process, thought to your ethical process, the establishment of your people, your culture, your nation, all sorts of things, just not, just not your salvation. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For I have already charged in the first two chapters that all men, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. 
not had sinned, but under the power of it. As it is written, now, this next set of verses, we do know where they come from, and they come from all over the Old Testament. And he's just giving you, he's just backed up the truck and dumped verses about how sinful the Jews are on your plate. That's all it is. It's not, it's not some sort of theological argument about the nature of all men's crimes, because not all men are um, uh, using their tongues to deceive. Uh, they were not swift. I remember, I, you know, some of you, I knew some of you when you were non-Christians, your feet were not swift to shed blood. We're not all this, but this was all about the Jews. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> now you may ask, is that, why do you say, Evan, that this is not a description of the sinful brokenness of all men? Well, it's about all men, but it's about the Jews primarily. And he's quoting the Old Testament. You say, not to prove that all men are sinners, but to prove of all the sinners. We know the Gentiles are sinners. They're called that, not a Gentile sinner. This is about Jews. And the Bible, the reason I say it's about the Jews is because Paul says it's about the Jews. Next verse. Now we know, I just quoted a bunch of Old Testament at you, about the wickedness of the hearers. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. I just gave you a bunch of verses out of your Bible, that if nothing else, it's to you about you. So that every mouth may be stopped. So when we go back and look at that advantage, they're entrusted with the oracles of God. Kind of a trick, okay? We were entrusted with the Bible. We, we know, ever realize that someone has taken the satisfaction we have about protecting the scriptures from the liberals. And then you finally realize the scriptures are talking about you, to you, and you're the one, not the liberal, you're the one that is guilty of the sin. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable. For no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Basically, he is saying, yeah, that, that advantage you had, that was just the prophets and the lawgivers pointing at the law and your sin, knowledge of sin. We think raising our kids in the church. I raised my kids in this church. And all the programs we had, which began with what? Nothing. No programs, but nonetheless, it's kind of an American thing, right? Grab your little kid's hand, make them leave their blanket at home, off to church, hope they learn to sing the songs, not request 
Christmas carols in the middle of the summer. Perhaps that might be taken care of with some discipline. We do the same thing the Jews were doing. We begin to build a comfortable, yes, this is soap, not animal fat and ash, about what we're doing. And we don't hear Paul's correction that people of God, the people of God, if inwardly, it's spiritual, not literal. Because we start to shape up literalnesses in institutions, buildings with pointy windows, um, a steeple. We got a steeple better than anybody else. Well, the Mormons have got a couple of steeples. They're, they're, but they obviously have the money to just you know, put that up. Ours is an old steeple. We get used to the way we do it. We get used to the doctrine we hear. We say the word gospel like they said circumcision. I've never done this, and I never will do this, but hand out blue books during the sermon. This is back in the days. I don't know if you still do this in college, but you had little blue notebooks that you had to write your exams in when you wrote essay exams. And have you all preach the gospel. Okay, what's the gospel? If you say, what must I do to be saved? What is it? Let's hear it now. What do you have to believe? I hope you get it right. But sometimes just even the presence of it being right. Out in our foyer, we've got a little poster that I came up with that says the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And I go through the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we could take some solace in that because it to, to us was entrusted the poster that had the gospel on it. The Old Testament was true. The law of God was right. Moses was of God. David was of God. The prophets were of God. They were doing something that was not sufficient no one would be justified in his sight by works of the law. We are all under sin. The power of it. Not merely I sinned, but I am enslaved to the sin. And all it's done is that standing before God of knowing the, the righteousness of God and the word of God is that it draws attention to my sin. Because we have got to get to the point where sin is remedied. Your kid, as you know, not saved because he came to church with you. And I, there is no covenant of that sort. There is only the new covenant where everyone knows me. It's a new covenant of Christ's blood. It's faith in Christ. And until it is matched with belief, it's not good enough that your kids grew up just like the Jews being able to chant the books of the Bible. I remember Southern Baptist Church, sword drill. I've told you about this before. Some, some smiling, one smiling. Sword drill, boy, I was good. I was better than Doug. We'd stand up front in church, your Bibles like this, and you couldn't put your thumbs over the edge. 
they'd read out a passage, you'd be thinking about it, and they'd say, go, then you're, you're the first one there, step forward in the line, read it. Man, you knew your sanctity at that point. You knew where things were in the Bible. Ever feel that satisfaction? Yeah, I believe that's actually Galatians 2. Uh, you probably misspoke, misspoke. I, I still feel it. I mean, gosh, I mean, you, you say, you ever tell you how I do that in my library? Talking with some newbie, come by. Wow, nice library, nice sword. Uh, great elephant's foot conversation goes on. I'm midway through my conversation, cigar dangling from my lips. I get up slowly, get up, walk over to the shelf while talking, grab a book, open to a certain page, and read the quote. Suddenly, is bestowed on me a reverence, an aura, a, a, a nimbus. He must have every book in this room memorized. That's all you got to do. Just have a few references. You don't have to get all navigator about it. You just, you just can remember a few verses. Don't overquote it in certain company. They'll know that's your only verse. <laughs> we feel that. We start to worship at the altar of being entrusted with the oracles of God. Do you not realize they point at your sin until your sin is dealt with? You're still under the power of it. And what you gained by being those reposed in whom was reposed the, the, the sacred texts. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Understand, that's what you got. As the advantage you had as a Christian parent, as your kids were raised in the presence of the Word of God, not because the Word of God was going to do anything. And obedience to it was not going to do anything. It was going to point them to their sin. Because sin is individual. It is done individually by your will. You sat up probably at about the age of, I don't know, when did you start sinning? Three, two aggressively, maybe one and a half for some of you. Just like, I'm going to do the bad thing because I want to. Your will. And you know on the last day, you will be judged by God, you, him, your decisions. The expression of what you believed you ought to be able to do because you want to be in charge of yourself. It is a personal moment, and until your child is set free from the, you might say, the institutional bureaucratic presentation and preservation of the Word of God in a good Bible-believing church where we consistently go to the scriptures, we sing hymns that are old, we, we try not to get caught up in any ritual, as you pretty obviously don't do, but still, They've got to come to grips with whether they believe. And not, I'm going to get to this in a moment. Maybe I should get to this sooner because I'm at the end of my time. You say, isn't he done? He's almost at the bottom. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law, although law 
and the prophets bear witness to it. You're having your way you raise your kid is pointing their way to their individual need and their individual faith and their individual salvation. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what we're after. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a famous verse. We all know it. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a weird verse. It makes sense in the Jew-Gentile context. He's trying to let you know that both Jew and Gentile are under the power of sin, and so consequently sin as sin, which is you as you, not us as us, not your participation in some literal thing called the church. It is something you have to answer for because it's internal, it's spiritual, it's inward. The kingdom of God is inward, the spiritual Jewishness is inward. you got to get that worked out, received by faith, and that's where the righteousness of God is. No distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. And I, I, I was thinking about this, just going through this passage. Short of the glory. It's almost not the way you'd say it, right? Short of the glory of God. Spend some time this afternoon. Falling short of the glory. Did the glory play in this at all for you? Did his glory, we talked last week or maybe the week before about our relationship with God. We were in John 1, Colossians 1, and uh, we sometimes don't remember that what this is all about is not just you and you not having psychological problems because of your sins and God forgiving you, so you won't have psychological problems about your sins and you have better relationships. No, it is you meeting the living God, and he's a deity, and you were not, and deities are intense. They are glorious. I don't care which deity you're dealing with. Pick a deity, and our God, Yahweh, he is, he's pegging the meter because he is, as the scriptures describe him, the God of gods. His glory is what you, and a I have a few non-believers that I'm ministering to currently, and, I, and I'm waiting to tell them no. They can't become a Christian. Not because I have some special knowledge that they're not elect, but because this is a God they're dealing with. This is not a change of club. The glory of God, we fell short from it. It's what we're trying to get back to the evangelical church is not going to do it for us. Jewishness is not going to do it for us. They are justified, verse 24, by grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. I hope your argumentative Christian spirit did not pause in that verse. He said expiation. What kind of agnostic liberal church is this? Why didn't they say propitiation? Because you know, some of you are going, what? This is a good fight. This is like head upstream, head downstream in baptism. What infant 
believer, whatever you want to do, these are good fights. How do you view the atonement? And just derail us all. If the glory of God, Christ, and our faith in him were first and foremost going to go, lighten up, Francis. We got, we got our sins to deal with here. Not the word expiation or the word propitiation. So I still don't know what you're not talking about. Good. And I recommend that you not look it up. To be received by faith. No, to be argued over interminably. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. A wonderful, if you know the gospel, that's just such a wonderful statement. It justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Remember, you're dealing with people who kind of think they got something going on because they use ivory soap. We're better than the savages who use red mud. On what principle? On the principle of works? No, but on the principle of faith. Faith removes boasting. We not only meet with the glory of God, we fall on our knees as men, as women, who are a little full of ourselves in all sorts of ways. Like I said, Scots are the best people. Oh, it's a kind of an accident that I'm a Scot. But no, actually, I, I, could, I could probably think that some other people groups were better than Scots. Not likely, but I could probably think it. It'd be hard, because I'm not a Scot. We get all about ourselves. We, 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 we prefer our way. English, for heaven's sake. We speak English in America. That's odd, we don't speak American. Christianity removes the potential of boasting because this has to do with believing in someone else and who he is. Not you and who you are. Not the fact that it's you and the way you have done it and the way your mom always did it and the way her mom always, always did it. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Oh, verse, I didn't quote, here's bold, verse 28. For we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You got that? You are justified by faith. You've heard it before? We are saved by grace through faith. Do we treat that as one of the oracles we own? Or is it true we are justified by faith, not by works of the law? Is that what we're working at with the young people in our church who are coming up not knowing Jesus Christ yet? They are not Christians. Got it? My father told me that in no uncertain terms. Evan, you're not a Christian. Oh, okay. But aren't you? No, you're not a Christian. And we told our kids, you're not Christians until you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually. Not through that Southern Baptist walk the aisle, you know. If it's real, walk the aisle. If it's real, jump a pew, for heaven's sake. I don't do We're justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Do you realize how much 
Paul is just letting definitions fall by the wayside. He's not defining you theologically. He's defining you very generally. He's telling Jews who've been studying their God for centuries, if not millennia, that these Gentiles who were last week bowing down to Artemis of the Ephesians, that he is their God too. God is. In a general, true, high God sense, what was that old line, whatever you conceive him to be in the deteriorata, either Cosmic Muffin or Harry Thunderer. But here, Paul knows that the generality is true. God is one. Is not he not the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one. Can you imagine this great phrase that is the unity of the God? There is no, there is no God but one. Or oh, was it? What's it say in Deuteronomy? Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. God is one. It's another opportunity, like the expiation word back there. Here's another opportunity. It's in red, too, so you can really notice it when you get home. Let's fight about whether or not this is an adequate representation of the triune God. No, taint. But it's generally wonderfully true. The God of the Gentiles, God is one, and so if God is God for the Jew, the God is the same God for the Gentile. You say, well, what about definitions? Okay, go to seminary. But the rest of us will just get saved because we're going to find ourselves in the glory of God, having to measure our righteousness and lack of it, and the grace of God present in Jesus Christ. He will justify the circumcised on the ground of their faith. There's actually a path here that violates all sorts of theological rightnesses. and the uncircumcised through their faith. So, what do we got? what's going on here? I knew a person who refused to sign a statement of faith because it said that something, something on the ground of their faith. I said, what's wrong with that? Well, because their theology wanted it always to be on the ground of the grace of God, not the ground of the faith of the individual. Here it says the Jews are justified on the ground of their faith. But we're not introducing another theology argument. It was the book of Romans wasn't written to create theology arguments for 2,000 years. It was written to solve them and to draw people back to that which we have in God. And for you who are raising Christian kids, we'll call them Christian. No, we won't. Non-Christian kids in the church They will be justified by faith alone, but it will be on the ground of their faith. Because I grew up in a Christian home, and I never didn't believe. Ever. My parents were righteous. They told me Bible stories. I believed every single one of them. They didn't ever lie to me. It was true. But I was damned eternally. Because my faith stands on that ground of belief. My faith stands on the ground of belief. 
And the non-believer, the person who never heard of Jesus one day in his life, he will justify the circumcised through the ground of their faith and the uncircumcised through their faith. What a non-believer who's never heard of Christ, he goes through all of this. He goes through an apologetic. He hears Jesus Christ, God himself proved, and the, 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 the arguments for the apostolic authority proved, and all those things. It's through all this that his faith is given. I sat there not wanting to bow the knee to Jesus Christ because I knew it was true. I knew it was true. And I did not want to be a Christian. Just didn't want to be. Belief inside the covenant, inside the Jewish circumstance, belief, the oracles of God, they could all deceive us. And we're not those sorts, well, we actually were just those sorts of people. That which we look down at the Jews for doing this, oh my God, didn't Paul straighten them out for heaven's sake? Then we recreate the same thing in the church. We start to believe that we're entrusted, we're the protectors, we're the chosen, that there is a, I don't know if you know that it says in Romans 9, I, you know my theological bent, I've been in Romans 9 quite a few times because... I have a lot of arguments went there. But one side verse that I have up at the top of the left-hand side, and we'll quit here. Romans 9, 8. It's surprising that it's in Romans 9. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are reckoned as descendants. And the promise is through faith, and the Gentiles can be in the promise, the Jews can be in the promise, but nobody who's just born into Jewishness has any of the promise, does not have automatic children of God's status. Watch where you're assuming things about the way we have done it. We think because we're evangelicals that it's all cool, whatever we do. We use soap, they use mud. Remember that we have to demonstrate everything we do is not in disobedience and is obedience to the word of God. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful, very grateful for St. Paul's uh, gift to the church in Rome. We're grateful we're able to look over their shoulder and benefit. We'd ask that we'd be able to apply it areas that he had not considered but that we had scrambled up in some way. Help our minds. In your son's name, amen.